Buying a home is an important milestone. Find the right realtor and the right listings for your needs at todayshomebc.com. Powered by Black Press Media. With easy-to-use search filters and direct links to realtors and their websites, you'll get all the information you need to find your perfect home. Search hundreds of local listings and get access to the top real estate professionals to help you find your perfect property. Get started now at todayshomebc.com. This is the Mojon Sports Podcast, a deeper dive into the great personalities we know and love. Now, here's your host, Bob the Moj Marjanovich. Welcome to MojonSports.com. It's the Moj, Bob Marjanovich with you. This is episode 22 of the bio. Our subject today, Canadian actor Barry Pepper. Usually we talk about sports, so we'll deviate a little bit, but there is a sports tie-in. We'll get to it in a second. Of course, Barry Pepper, best known for his breakthrough role in Saving Private Ryan. Of course, Private Jackson, the sniper. He was in the Green Mile. He was in Flags of Our Fathers, Maze Runner, The Scorch Trials. Won a primetime Emmy for his portrayal of Robert F. Kennedy in the miniseries The Kennedys. And he does have a couple of sports movies to his credit. 61, the story of Mantle and Maris. He played Roger Maris in that. Of course, Thomas Jane playing Mickey Mantle. Great movie if you're a baseball fan. And Dale Earnhardt portrayed him in the ESPN movie Earnhardt. So looking forward to catching up to Barry Pepper. Whenever it comes to tires or meeting your automotive needs, I only send my friends to one place, OK Tiring Langley. OK Tiring Langley is more than just tires. It's about complete automotive care, and it's about being treated right by my good friends, the Delaney family. Delaney's OK Tiring Langley, 19863 Fraser Highway, or call them at 604-530-2545. This is the Mojon Sports Podcast. Time now for our feature bio. Here's Bob the Moj Marjanovich. Welcome to Mojonsports.com, the bio. This is episode 22. We are with Canadian actor Barry Pepper. And, man, you talk about a resume. We mentioned it in the introduction. Barry, thanks for doing this. And, man, oh, man, when I when I look at this resume and this piece of work, I'm going, wow, it's so impressive. And we'll get to it. But let's get to your beginnings because I find your story amazing in the sense that, from what I read, your family came to Vancouver Island in the 1800s, a lot of roots there. Your dad apparently was a lumberjack, from what I understand. And... Well, you didn't have a conventional childhood, right? I mean, (laughs) going on a boat, a sailboat, the Moonlighter, from age five, your family sails down to Mexico. You spend the next five years on this boat going across the Pacific, New Zealand, Polynesia, you name it. First off, uh, to me, I'm kind of puzzled because when I think of a lumberjack, I think of a guy that, you know, go does his work, goes down to the pub on Friday night and has a pint or two, but I don't see too many lumberjacks building a boat and then, you know, going on a boat sailboat for five years. T- tell me a little bit about that experience in your family. Wow, you really have done your homework. <laughs> um, well, you know, my dad, he was raised by, um, you know, pioneer sort of parents who had settled in the um, Peace River, you know, really hard scrabble people. Um, I believe he was uh, born um, in a town nearby called Bear Flats, where his mom, my grandmother, had to ride pregnant bareback, a horseback, through the 
through the timber to this town, which was about five miles away uh, in, the, in September. So up in the Peace River, it would have been through the snow. So they're just a really hard scrabble people. And so his, um, his dream was never to be, you know, a lumberjack. His dream was to really to travel. And he, he grew up in a household where they had the entire uh, National Geographic collection on the wall. Like that was the only, I didn't have a television. And so their only, uh, you know, source of reading was um i think they had an encyclopedia and and like i say that entire collection of national geographic so i think as a as a young man he was reading those books and reading about the the world and and that was really kind of what i think what what drew him to traveling and um you know the only means to that was to build his own sailboat so he as he was uh, falling uh, here on the pacific northwest um he was you know squirreling his money away and and building this sailboat in a, in a barn in our, in our backyard in Kimberoo, uh, he and my mother. And um, in about 1975, he launched it. And then we spent uh, like a year or so living, sailing around the Gulf Islands in the Georgia Strait. And, and then sort of, I guess, once he and my mother learned the navigation, celestial navigation, so with a sextant, you know, using the stars and the horizon and the sun and the moon, sort of, sort of the way Columbus would have traveled, they set offshore. And so we went down the coast of Canada and Mexico, and then eventually, I think our first stop was Hawaii, and then the Marquesas, and Fiji, Tahiti, Tonga, Rarotonga, eventually New Zealand, and around, and around through there, and, and spent uh, about five years total on the, living on the sailboat as a, as a family of five. And... Um, not all, not all in the South Pacific, but, but living on, on board the Moonlighter for about five years. And then when we came back to, to Canada, we sailed back through sort of the same route. We, we uh, built a home on uh, one of the Gulf Islands where, where my deep ancestry is from in, in this area. And uh, yeah, so that was sort of his origin story. Yeah, but I mean, like most five-year-olds, you say, hey, we're going to Costco, and they're like, ah. You know. <laughs> As a five-year-old, what were the emotions when your parents say, hey, we're uh, we're going to go on this sailboat, and we're going to be gone for quite a while? I mean, can you remember yeah, how you felt? I don't think they pitched it like that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because my, my older brother, he was in, you know, he was in Scouts and Little League and and had all of his friends. I mean, as a five-year-old, I was, you know, sort of unestablished and you just sort of go with the flow at that at that age but for my older brother I think it was much more challenging for him because he had to kind of leave leave baseball and all his buddies and scouts and things behind and and so that was a bigger transition for him than than it was for for me but I don't think I don't think dad pitched it that way <laughs> we're just like we're gonna go and we're gonna go sailing <laughs> the next thing you know you're in freaking Tahiti did you ever have it? What, what are your favorite memories of that journey? Well, we were, you know, we were, I don't know, I wouldn't say poor, but, you know, definitely middle, middle class. And, and um, my dad, you know, being Scotch Irish, he was, um, you know, he could make copper wire out of a penny. And so we never went to the fancy ports and yacht clubs. And we, we always sort of, you know, went to the islands, the remote islands, sort of like you would see in, that series Survivor. In fact, they actually a lot of their seasons were were in places that we went to. But hmm. at that time in the seventies, it was just like 
you know, shacks and, and, and very poor villages. And so we would just anchor in those harbors and then we would just live and trade and hunt and fish with the local people uh, there. And so, yeah, there, 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 there wasn't any really big fancy memories of, of, you know, sailing. It was pretty, it was pretty raw and rugged lifestyle. You know, we would go up into the mountains and hunt for wild goats or pigs or chickens and, and trade with the locals. They'd have fruit and maybe taro root and, and uh, breadfruit and mangoes and papayas and things like that. You know, you'd trade for a stock of bananas and maybe dad had something that, you know, he could trade them for that they needed and, or he'd do some work for them, you know, fixing up maybe one of their, they just, their houses were just so simple. You know, they cooked outside on an open fire and just corrugated sort of iron shacks and you know, nothing fancy, but really loving, giving, beautiful people just so full of, you know, music and love and ha some of the happiest people and some of the happiest memories of my life were just there in the islands with uh, the French Polynesian people because they just, they had nothing, but they were just so happy, you know. I imagine your love of nature started with that trip i mean clearly some of the things that you just you mentioned like you know hunting fishing all yeah. that being on a sailboat but also imagine as a five-year-old growing up you know through those years five through ten uh you had to become pretty creative to entertain yourself because there was no playstation i imagine on that yeah. right so yeah. um i imagine you had to kind of really like you know become creative and, and learn how to entertain yeah. yourself yeah, and then you hit the nail on the head there, Roach, because I sometimes, you know, backtrack to how did I end up in this weird business, you know? But it really was those formative years because we had no television. We had no, I don't know if we, we had music, but, um, you know, you, you had to be sort of near, obviously, a station to, to pick up any music. So we didn't really have any entertainment other than just our own imagination. So it was nice to have the my two older brothers because we, you know, play cowboys and Indians and, you know, you'd run around. <laughs> you know you're dealing with a 50-foot sailboat it's only 14 feet wide and so it's limited space to to play but you know we would draw we would you know spend a lot of time drawing and reading and and uh, imagination games were big and board games were big and and so you know we I think that's where those sort of uh, imagination skills develop and maybe what led me you know to this path that I'm on but um Art was really my focus. You know, I wanted to be a graphic designer. And that's why I'd won some scholarships or bursaries in high school that sent me to art school. And that was really what I wanted to do. Um, because of those years, that's, I mean, I just spent hours and hours, years just drawing sketchbooks. And, and so that was really my, my passion. You come back off that trip. And as you mentioned, you know, art is something that's very important to you. Yeah. Um, it's funny, we had Dave Van Horn on last week, the longtime play-by-play voice of the Expos and the Marlins, and his career kind of got started by answering an ad in a paper uh, that a, well, a friend answered an ad he went along regarding a, a DJ at a station. And th there's a similar story with you because you kind of answered an ad in, in terms of acting, and the next thing you know, you kind of got involved. Yeah, you know, I ended up... Um... Uh, after art school, I went to BCIT, Vancouver. I moved to Vancouver and I wanted to get sort of a business background so I could freelance as an artist. And I knew nothing about um, marketing myself. And so I, I took first year 
marketing at, at BCIT. And uh, man, right in my backyard, Johnny Depp is shooting 21 Jump Street. And, and Richard Dean Anderson's doing uh, MacGyver and, and The X-Files and all of these shows that you remember. Um, Lonesome Dove and Highlander and all these fun shows that were happening. I just had never seen anything like it coming from the island. Kind of blew my mind. And I thought, man, this would be kind of fun. Like maybe make, make a little extra cash, be an extra or something. And, and um, then I realized that, you know, there was an entry, you know, a way in that I needed to, to, to have a, at least some experience. And so I took some acting classes and I'd really never, you know, other than everybody, I think takes drama or some form in, in high school or middle school, but I had really never taken, taken it seriously. It was just kind of like a, an elective, you know, um, but yeah, so then when I started taking, uh, you know, some scene study classes in Vancouver, I was like, man, this is something that I have a little bit of a aptitude for, and I really enjoyed it. And so uh, just the next five years, I just kept studying it at all of the different um, acting studios that were available in Vancouver at the time. What was and, the turning point? Gosh, you know, I'm trying to remember now. I, I think I landed this uh, teen soap opera called Madison. Um, you know, it was a supporting part, but one of the kids in the high school, sort of like the Vancouver's 90210 or whatever. Mm -hmm. you know? And um, yeah, it was a lot of fun. You know, I think it was, it was just a great place to, to cut your teeth because there wasn't a lot of pressure. I mean, I didn't see it really as a career. You know, I was just, uh, just enjoying myself. And yeah, so I spent, and then I, I spent the next five years just doing guest star spots on all the different television shows. And, and, and then it started to, uh, you know, dawn on me that the, that the, um, I was going to wear out my welcome eventually in Vancouver if I didn't maybe move to LA. And so, so after I, you know, I had maybe, I maybe had a, you know, a page of credits, the guest star credits. And then I moved to LA and, um, yeah, I was just fortuitous there. I, I, I actually did a pilot with Brian Cranston called dogs. It was a, men's beer league baseball series you know it's a show about you know this men's beer league team and uh, that didn't get picked up and uh it was with disney and so they still had me under contract and then i got this phone call for, to to meet steven spielberg uh, or audition for saving private ryan and i was funny he was shooting amistad at the time and it was out in van nuys in this big warehouse and he had the entire galleon the amistad galleon slave ship up on gimbals in this um like big hydraulic gimbals to recreate the swell of the ocean and man i was so nervous he asked me to come up on deck and uh he was shooting some scene with jaiman hinsu and anthony hopkins or whoever it was at the time and i was just shaking in my boots because i literally just drew, you know drove packed my car and drove down from vancouver <laughs> this was all pretty new to me and uh but had a nice, a really, a, a great, great meeting with him on the deck of that ship. And, and I just listened, I was kind of, I think my, my, my parents taught me to, you know, listen more than I talk. And, and so I just absorbed what he, he was really excited. It was so amazing to, to chat with him because he was, you know, right in the middle of shooting Amistad. And yet he's just already just explosive with his, his ideas and visions for saving private Ryan and he's sharing like how we're going to do this and how we're going to do that. And I didn't even have the part yet. And I was just sort of like, okay, <laughs> this is 
was amazing. This guy's incredible. Like his, 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 his visionary um, ideas for this production. And, and it, so I just was absorbing it all. And then I, I walked off the deck of, that, of Amistad and, and I heard hire Barry Pepper. And, uh, and uh, so obviously, you know, we had a committed connection. And um, yeah, that was, that was probably like a year, a year into living in LA. More with actor Barry Pepper after these messages. Every athlete is looking for a competitive edge, and you can find one at stokodesign.com. The K1 Embrace system wraps your legs with over 90 feet of high-strength support cables that are directly integrated into an ultra-comfortable compression tape. The cabling is positioned to naturally move with you, supporting your knee when you need it most. You can customize your level of support with two control dials in the waistband. This is the future of knee support. Stokadesign.com. You're listening to the Mojon Sports Podcast. Barry, I'm going to backtrack a little bit because you said a year. Uh, I think your bio on your website says in three months. Right? Yeah, maybe. I mean, you know, most of the times you hear these stories about people going to Los Angeles and wanting to be actors and they're waitresses or waiters or, or whatever. I mean, they, they have these jobs that they take just to, to, you know, make ends meet and pursue that acting career. I mean, for you, if it was three months or even a year, man, this happened quick because it takes a long time to, to break into Hollywood from what, you know, most people tell you, but you did it in a short period of time. Did, did you kind of have to pinch yourself and go, wow, this is crazy? Yeah, yeah. Sorry, Mojo. I, I meant sort of just my first, year there like uh, first pilot season and so it, it was um yeah it was it was a, a bit of a mind blower it's funny i uh, i remember um ryan reynolds and i were roommates we drove down to vancouver just packed all our gear drove straight to la 24 hours straight just stopping for fuel and gatorade <laughs> i remember we would uh well, no, I won't share that story. But anyway, so we <laughs> we used the Gatorade bottles. Uh, we'll leave it at that. Um, and uh, and I just remember, you know, he he had I think been there before I had, and so he would kind of, um, you know, he kind of made it comfortable for me because I had seen so many casualties, like you say, you know, guys guys and gals going down there and just getting eaten up, coming back just you know, penniless and broken dreams. And they, I think they went there a little too soon and maybe went there to party. And, um, and I, and I'm glad that I had that opportunity to see some of that before I went, um, just to sort of, you know, because we didn't go there to party. We went there to work. So you, you say Ryan Reynolds. So in your bio, it says you and a friend got into your Dodge dart, which is another story. Yeah. We can talk about Dodge darts all day long. So as you and Ryan Reynolds drive down to uh, California together, yeah. that's your, your friend. That's right. And he was doing uh, two guys, a girl in a pizza place at the time. Uh, that was his first series. And so he had, he had scored before I did, you know, before I got there. So mm -hmm. he was, he was working. And so it was, uh, it was cool because, you know, he, he knew a few people and um, um, knew a few, you know, knew he was, we were the same uh, he was with a, an agent that uh, he introduced me to. So that was kind of cool. You know, I, I had kind of uh, a little bit more comfort uh, being there as opposed to just stepping into this massive megalopolis and just being overwhelmed. And, and uh, 
but yeah, it did happen pretty quick, Mojit. Um, I don't, I, I, I don't know. I don't know why. No idea. I mean, here you are in LA within a year or whatever the the number of months is. You're on the set of Saving Private Ryan. You're being directed by Steven Spielberg, and you're working with Tom Hanks and Sizemore and all these other great actors. You know, in sports, I always talk about guys taking you under their under their wing when you're a young guy and helping you. Is there anybody like that? Is it like that in the acting profession, or is it more kind of like sink or, sink or swim on your own? It's yeah, it's, it's entirely sink or swim. You know, but with Saving Private Ryan, Stephen hired this amazing uh, Vietnam veteran captain to run that boot camp that he designed uh, with this fellow, Captain Dale Dye. And the idea was to just, you know, kind of immerse us into this brutal two-week boot camp out in the bush uh, outside of London, the countryside outside of London, and, and to have us just, you know, live in our World War II, you know, wool fatigues, you know, sleep with our rifles, like in the canvas tents, cook our rations over an open fire, and this was just pissing rain the whole time, and just, you know, any kind of Anything that you discussed or mentioned outside of that World War II time capsule was a punishment. You'd be in the mud doing push-ups or going for a five-mile jog. Or it was uh, he, so his idea was to try to just immerse us and insulate us in that bubble for two weeks prior to filming. No scripts, no rehearsal, other than this this remarkable concept that he had of keeping us in character. Like I was Jackson the whole time in that, mm -hmm. and, I, and I wasn't allowed to break character. So we'd be sitting around the campfire in the evening and Tom Hanks would say, Jackson, you know, where are you from in, in Tennessee? And, 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 and what do you miss most about home? And, and uh, you, you know, you just improvise. You just talk about your dog and your mom and, you know, miss, miss, miss the barbecue, you know, or whatever, whatever it was that just came to mind. And, and over those two, the course of those two weeks, you just, your character was developed without a script without any rehearsal and then we were flown straight to ireland where we shot the the normandy invasion sequence and um you know pissed off and beaten and bloody and just you know just frustrated about the whole process because we you know we were used to rehearsing with scripts in a in a boardroom with your latte and you know this whole thing and but he wanted it to be much more immersive and much more um honest and and so when we got there he said you know you guys know these characters now better than than anyone the writers myself included so if there's anything in this dialogue in the script that doesn't work for you you just say what comes to mind it was an incredible gift that from a director you know just amazing to be on this massive hollywood set um with Steven Spielberg and Tom Hanks and him saying, just improvise if you want to. <laughs> Did you realize you're in the midst of something special? Because people talk about Saving Private Ryan as arguably being the best war movie ever made. Um, when you were making it, did you realize, hey, we're doing something really special here? And not necessarily. Um, it was it was more just, I think, the scale and the scope of what he created was, was, was pretty awesome. Um, like the two towns, Beerville, and Ramel, he, you know, they built them uh, out, out of nothing in the, in the, you know, in the British countryside, and so they were. These sets were incredible. You know, the 
the bridges and the buildings and, the, and, and all the shops and every, every storefront that you, every rubbled sort of, you know, uh, bomb destroyed storefront you'd walk into, it was an actual functional cafe, like a French cafe with the big espresso machine and the, the, the stools and tables and just, and, and rubble and coffee cups and everything was authentic. And you'd find a child's doll in, in the, in the bricks and, it would be actually from, you know, 1940s. Um, everything was, everything you'd pick up, like a, you'd find like a postcard in the, in, in the dirt, you know, and it, it was actually like a French postcard from the 40s. It was just, the detail was magnificent. So for, in that respect, you knew you were a part of something very special in that, that he cared so much, you know, the detail was so important to him. So that, you know, that made you, feel like you had to yeah it's amazing you, you talk to people in whatever endeavor and we always hear it in sports it's attention to detail is one of the the keys for people that are successful it's one of the rules that they kind of abide by um how did saving private ryan and the the success of that movie change your life yeah i mean it was right at, right after that i did uh, the green mile and that was again with tom and so that was kind of nice you know he had been through this uh, extraordinary experience together and and uh, he was like, oh, I'm doing this, doing this other depression era death row prison film. And, and uh, yeah, just, you know, invited me onto that one. And so that was, you know, I think that was sort of how it, you know, changed for me dramatically was that now I had sort of an entry point into other better productions, you know, than I had had the opportunity to have previously. More with actor Barry Pepper after this. Redefine how you lead. Take the next step in your leadership journey with Ignite Management. Become a leader that positively impacts those around you. Create an environment where your team thrives. Be in control of your own development with a detailed analysis of your leadership style, complete with actionable insights and recommendations. Visit ignitemanagement.ca for more info. You're listening to the Moj on Sports Podcast. Barry, uh, you did a couple of sports movies as well. Um, 61, which was directed by Billy Crystal, right. and Thomas Jane, uh, playing the M&M boys. You also did Dale Earnhardt. What was it like for you getting into these roles as, as an athlete, say as Dale Earnhardt or as Roger Maris? I mean, did you grow, did you watch up, you know, did you watch a lot of sports growing up? I mean, when you got back from obviously your, um, your Polynesian tour, but were you a big sports fan growing up? Was it kind of neat for you to, to play these roles or was it just more of an actor doing a role? No, I grew up playing baseball. My, my eldest brother was a Yankees fan. So I always, you know, looked up to him and he had, he had, um, I still have actually the, his Yankees cap from 40 years ago that he, that he gave me once it was all trashed. And cause I just, I, I admired everything that he did and he was a really good baseball player. He played triple A ball and, and, um, and I just always admired Doug's athletic ability. And so for me, I was just, you know, sort of following in his footsteps. And so that's how I became a Yankees fan is because, you know, Doug was a Yankees fan and, and, uh, and so we played my dad and, and Doug and I, we all played on the same men's B league, um, uh, baseball team on, uh, Demon Island and the other islands and the local townships, they all had teams, you know, this, this sort of uh, men's beer league, B league team, uh, baseball. 
And so we, that was really cool growing up, you know, as a teenager, getting to play ball with uh, my brother and my dad. And, and um, yeah, we always, you know, hockey was big. And although we were on an island, so we didn't have a rink, we'd have to, a lot of, a lot of pond hockey, floor hockey, street hockey, uh, you know, and then when the ponds would, you know, when the ponds would freeze over in the winter, we, we play a lot. And um, so sports was really big because we didn't have television. I don't think we had a television until 80, 85, maybe we got a black and white, small black and white TV. And so, you know, sports was sort of just, yeah, the pastime after school, everybody was, you know, uh, so, so, I mean, I was, I was really excited to, to play Roger because uh, I, I love baseball and, and, uh, but it would, the trick, the challenge with that was, was to bulk up, you know, cause I'm, I'm kind of, you know, 175, 180 and, Roger and Mickey were big guys, you know, they were big corn fed farm boys from Fargo, North Dakota. And, and, um, so it was a fair bit of weight training to try to put on a little bit of size, you know? Yeah. And I got to meet, um, a guy that was associated with that film, Reggie Smith. Oh yeah. A major league yeah. outfielder. He was in town probably a couple of years ago, speaking at a, at a, ba a baseball banquet and yeah. small world is he worked with you guys on that movie, right? Right. Yeah, he was amazing. You know, and he'd spent some years in the Japanese league. And so he had, when we went to his baseball camp, we spent, um, I think a month or so with Reggie. And it was, it was really, it was really, really cool. Um, what was great having him as a, as our trainer was, um, he was a switch hitter. So he was able to help Thomas, uh, you know, who had really Thomas had never really had any baseball background at all so he was having to take Thomas from the absolute you know basement to you know learning how to throw a ball and swing a bat but uh, yeah it was remarkable Reggie was amazing to work with um yeah a great guy what was it like uh doing Earnhardt that was tough you know um it was you know it was again it was incredible to drive the cars and you know uh uh you know, race around the, the track and whatnot. But um, it was so, it was a challenging film because we had, uh, I think we had, I don't know, our budget was so small. It was like $10 million or something to do NASCAR, you know, to do it properly. It's, it's like, you know, the, they're, you know, they're, they're just billboards, you know, just everywhere, advertisements everywhere. And it's just so expensive to, to get those sponsors and, and to utilize the, to sort of show it properly. And, and the tracks are so huge and the cars are so expensive. It was just a, a really challenging production to do on a, on a tight budget, but I, I enjoyed it. You know, I got to go to race school at Lowe's Motor Speedway. And that was a lot of fun. Of all the movies that you've done, is there one that you're most proud of? I mean, the obvious would be Saving Private Ryan, but is there perhaps something else that for you is like you look at and you go, I, I really enjoyed doing this and I really enjoyed the final product. Uh, True Grit would probably be, you know, one of my uh, most memorable productions that I, I just had such a fantastic time working with Cohen brothers and, and Jeff and Matt and Josh. We just, we had a, we had a great time on that, on that show. And um, I just love Westerns. Um, so it was, it was a lot of fun. Yeah. I think that's one that turned out really great. Um, it's based based on the original book. Um, John Wayne's version was they kind of adapted it more sort of for John Wayne, 
uh, whereas the Coens went back to the original uh, book. And, uh, and so it's, a, it's quite a different story. I thought they did a, a great job. They're, they're kind of a bucket list directors for me. I always wanted to work with them. Well, I mean, you talk about directors, Eastwood, Crystal, Spielberg, Gibson, Spike Lee. You've worked with Hanks, Hackman, Will Smith, Depp, Eddie Norton, uh, the late, great Philip Seymour Hoffman. Is there anybody off that list that you, you kind of look back and you go, wow, it was really neat working with that person? I, I wish I had spent a little bit more time with Gene Hackman. You know, I was so, it was all so new to me at the time. Um, that was during Enemy of the State with Will Smith. And uh, uh, I was just in awe of him. So I really kind of stayed away. I didn't, you know, at that time I was, yeah, just trying to give people their space. And also too, he was a very intense actor. And, and so I, I, I didn't really have, you know, as the time I would have liked to have spent with him and just, because uh, that's what, you know, what I, I felt comfortable enough to spend time with Tom and ask him, you know, advice, you know, because I was pretty, I was pretty green and I just wanted to make sure, um, you know, I was, I was studying the right things and, and watching the right historical films and, 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 you know, that I just, you know, that I was focusing on the right things and, and uh, I think, you know, one of the big takeaways from guys like that would, would like just keep it simple, you know, with, with Eastwood and with Hanks and, and anyone that I did sit down with and, and try to learn from, yeah, it was just keep it simple. And, uh, but Hackman would have been somebody I would have enjoyed, you know, just sitting and have a coffee with or, you know. You know, you talk about keeping it simple. It's a perfect segue into my next question because, you know, you, you make it as this actor in Hollywood, you've got all these great roles. I mean, you would think that, hey, here's the house in Beverly Hills, going to the parties all the time, networking, doing this now. But, you know, you come back to Vancouver Island. And, you know, for you, it's right back to your roots, keeping it simple. Um, what draws you back to, to Vancouver Island? Well, I was never like a big city guy, you know, so LA, New York, you know, living in places like that even Vancouver was never really you know I just was never a cut from that cloth I guess and and so I was always wanting to get back to the island and this where all my family still is you know brothers uncles aunts um you know the that's when I when Cindy and I got married we decided to raise a family we knew that that's where we wanted to to uh raise raise our our kids and so that's why we ended up back here. We're dual citizens, so we, you know, we go back and forth, and I obviously satellite out here from here a lot. But, but this is where I, this is where I feel most comfortable and at home. And and because I, I mean, I grew up hunting and fishing and hiking and exploring, and I wanted a garden and an orchard, and I wanted to, you know, I just wanted that life. And so as soon as I sort of established myself well enough to leave LA, I did. But um, yeah, and also too, I think, Moji, you know, I'm kind, of, I'm kind of really addictive. I have a really addictive personality and I just knew it would be my demise if I stayed there. Like if, you know, my neighbor's into archery, I'm into archery, all in, you know, if, if somebody's building a hot rod next door, you know, our buddy's building the hot rod, like, well, I got to rebuild a hot rod, you know, if somebody's into motorcycles, I'm all into motorcycles. Like I just, and it's also, it's an occupational hazard you know, every character I play, I just, I immerse myself so much into it that I end up 
bringing all of those hobbies and passions home with me. And so LA is sort of the same. There's so many distractions and so many temptations there that I kind of knew that a, a simpler life would be better for me. And that's, that's what I have here. Discover what's happening around our province with todayinbc.com. Sign up today to get the latest news right to your inbox and never miss the news that's important to you and your family. From community news in your neighborhood to what's happening in our province, your source for daily news is todayinbc.com. The Mojon Sports Podcast. How long do you see yourself acting? You know, I've really tapered it off uh, over the last sort of, you know, five five or so years, you know, purposefully just kind of dialing it back a bit. And, um, but, you know, I just, I think it's one of those professions that you can carry on, you know, look at, look at Clint, you know, (laughs) 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 nobody's telling him to wrap it up, but no, I just, uh, yeah, I, I, you know, I've, I've been smart with my money. I mean, I just, I don't live like an asshole. I, I pretty pretty simple means uh got an old pickup truck and uh, you know we live pretty we live pretty close to the line so so i mean i can i can do it or not do it have some fun and going to head into australia to do a an alien thriller here in a little bit so yeah every year i probably do one maybe two films you know you know it's interesting a lot of people talk to talk to me about you know being on air before and not being on air and doing the podcast and the thing that you kind of miss being on air and we've all kind of talked about it you kind of miss that rush sometimes of of something yeah. big that's happening um yeah. yet at the same time you still like even doing this podcast now i'm getting a rush and getting yeah. that feeling back talking to you could you see yourself getting that that adrenaline rush you get from acting whether it would be say doing a film you know on a on a hollywood studio or even maybe doing a play on some in some Vancouver Island community. Do you think you get the same rush? Yeah, I mean, I, I get a rush. You know, Moj, you, you you said it. I mean, I get a, I got a rush before we we jumped on together. I get a I'm getting a rush doing this right now just because it's kind of fun, an old buddy. And you know, it's funny about our friendship is like we've never actually sat down and had a meal together. Um, you're such a recluse, man. So. <laughs> <laughs> No, but I mean, we've we've uh, sort of known each other for quite a while now. But then pandemic hit, and we had plans to meet for dinner, and that didn't happen. So, you know, it's it's just yeah. But I got a rush, you know, just hooking up with you again. And, and so, no, it's all it's not something that has has left me that feeling. I, I could, but I also get a rush from a lot of other things, you know. Like I love um, I love hunting and fishing and and uh, foraging for wild edibles and, and, and hiking and, and uh, you know, I, I paddleboard and, and I, I ride motorcycles. I just got back from Joshua Tree. I just uh, rode my adventure bike down to Joshua Tree from, from the island and did about 6,000 kilometers in nine days. And so, you know, I get a rush from a lot of other fun things. So I don't necessarily need it from acting anymore. You know, it's kind of funny. I'll tell the story about how we actually got to know one another is that um, I host a big golf tournament that we had at Whistler. Now it's up in Kelowna. Yeah. And I get an email one day from this woman says, yes, Barry Pepper would like to play in your golf tournament. Right. You know, she was inquiring about. Yeah, that was Pearl. Tournament. Yeah. And 
the crazy thing is, is I got a buddy of mine named Mike Pepper, who's uh, he was a program director for a, a CBS affiliate in Tampa. And I didn't read the Barry part really well. And I'm like, why the hell is Mike Pepper asking this woman about playing in my tournament? Why wouldn't Mike just get a hold of me? And I'm just like trying to like, you know, I'm trying to like understand all this. And all of a sudden it's like, hold on, that's not Mike. That's Barry Pepper that wants to play yeah. in the tournament. Well, and you still, a... you got to get to that tournament one of these days. Yeah, I was a longtime fan of your show. And I listened to you guys for years and just loved you and Donnie. And, and um, yeah, it was whenever, you know, I was working or, you know, in my truck, I would always have you guys on. And, and, and then I heard about your tournament. And I thought, you know, this would be a great way for me to give back. Like I was searching for, I always, always have been involved in children's charities. And I thought what you were doing was really cool. And I thought, yeah, I'd love to, I'd love to participate. And, 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 and it sounded like you had a lot of really interesting guests that came and, it sounded like a good thing. And, and I, I'd gone to uh, Fargo, uh, North Dakota, to the Roger Maris Golf Tournament for many years mm -hmm. to, support, to, to support that hospice charity that uh, Mickey and Roger started uh, before they passed away. And so, you know, golf, I always enjoyed, you know, golfing. I'm not great at it, but I thought, oh, this would be fun. I get an opportunity to meet Moj and, and give back a bit. But yeah, we hit, we still haven't connected on that. Hey, this year you're there. I don't care. Clear your schedule. Like, just <laughs> take time off July. Tell Spielberg no. Yeah. Tell Hanks no. Whoever calls no, man. I got a commitment. Right. Hey, Barry, this has been awesome. Um, it, it's so neat to hear your story and an amazing story that it is. And thank you so much for for stopping by and being part of this episode. My pleasure, Moj. Thank you so much. Always great to connect with you. The Moj on Sports Podcast. For more episodes, check out MojonSports.com. From hidden local hotspots to outrageous wildlife rescues and trend-setting hotels, WestCoastTraveler.com shares the latest travel news from your local community and beyond. Travel the spectacular West Coast of the U.S. and Canada without leaving your armchair and start taking notes for your next adventure. Make your next vacation or staycation the best it can be. Visit westcoasttraveler.com.